Hello everyone, I hope you're all doing well. We have another amazing collection of stories for you this week. Just the ones to get you ready for the fall season. Let's dive in as we drift further into Mr. Creep's mind. I work as a park ranger. I'm the worst in the world. Written by Horror Writer 1717. I hate being a park ranger. There, I said it. It's nice to finally get it off my chest. It's not like there's any one specific thing that makes it so bad. It's a combination. The pay sucks, the health insurance is non-existent. And dear God, don't ever forget to hose yourself down with bug spray during the warmer months. I have a case of it that I keep in my car. I found out the hard way when I was down at the lake and was set upon by a swarm of mosquitoes. And the ticks get into places that you wouldn't imagine. These are the minor annoyances. There is also the other part of the job, the dangerous part. I'm not talking about people being idiots and having to swoop down from the top of a ravine to rescue them. Yeah, I mean that's there. In my opinion, that's called a natural selection. If they were close enough to the edge to fall, then that's on them. No, I'm not talking about those incidents either. I'm talking about the real danger. I'm not supposed to say anything, but I'm tired of the code of silence. That's why I'm posting this here. Now it goes without saying that I won't use anybody's real name, including the park that I work at. That should keep me out of trouble. I started working here as a park ranger around a year ago. It seemed nice at first to get out and enjoy nature. I'm sure nature would laugh at that since she seems to be set on killing people. Between storms, falling trees, landslides, wildfires, and not to mention cryptids, nature is not exactly man's best friend, at least in this park. Every evening at dusk, some of us rangers drive around to the trailheads to make sure that there are no cars sitting around. If there is, we take the license number and call the police to see if the person had been reported missing. If there are no cars there, we lock up the gates. On this evening, I had just finished locking the gate down by the lake. It had been a while since I had been near any restrooms, and the nearest one was a half mile away. I was responsible for this side of the lake, so I knew no other rangers would be around. I looked left and right, then whipped out and added a little more fluid to the lake. As I was relieving myself, this huge, hairy creature stepped out of the forest, around 50 feet away from me, and it approached the lake. It bent over, pulling water out of the lake with its massive hands, and bringing it up to its mouth to drink. After about the third handful, it looked over and noticed me for the first time. It saw what I was doing, and then it spat the mouthful of water back into the lake. We both froze. Do you know that, oh crap, moment when you catch someone doing something that they shouldn't, at the same time you're doing something that you shouldn't? Like when you're on duty and coming out of the liquor store with a brown bag, and you see a coworker buying a bag of weed. 
You both have stared at each other, hoping that the other one will be the one to feel guilty and walk away first. But neither of you does. You just stand there. That's what we did. We just stood there looking at each other. This creature and I. Now was I scared. Heck yeah, I was scared. This thing was freaking huge. Do you remember that part in Star Wars where Han tells a 3PL that Wookiees are known to rip people's arms out of their sockets? Well, that's what I was thinking this thing might do. I mean, it was big enough to give Chewie a swirly. The thought of my arms being forcefully and painfully removed from my body bounced around in my head so much that I started sweating. They say that animals can smell fear. I bet I smelled like I had just walked out of a Saw movie marathon. Neither one of us moved. Me out of total terror, him out of... How the heck should I know what that thing was thinking? All I knew was that it wasn't running away. I didn't take that as a good sign. I took that as him looking at me and someone in the background ringing the dinner bell. Finally, after a long moment of this insane standoff, my shaking hand reached for my phone. Much to my surprise and relief, it took off into the woods at inhuman speed. Against my better judgment, I followed as best I could but soon lost sight of it. I came back to the shoreline and found huge footprints. I took pictures with my phone and went to the station to show everyone. That's super, Ron said with a laugh. Did you get a picture of the Tooth Fairy too? The room erupted with laughter as all the rangers, even the ones that I had considered to be friends, had turned on me. No, that would be a fay, said Sharon, not a Sasquatch. Don't you know anything, Ron? Did it give you any beef jerky? Jeff said, causing the group to erupt with even more laughter. Oh no, come on, Nancy said. Let's be realistic. My hopes soared that someone might actually believe me. You don't really think there's any beef in that jerky, do you? Nancy said. My hopes crashed down again. Hey, shut up all you idiots. Dell said, pulling me aside. Let me see that phone. I handed it to him, feeling my hopes rise again. He looked through the pictures one by one. His face was set. I couldn't read his emotions. He didn't seem to react with surprise or disbelief. When he was done looking through them, he scrolled back and deleted every picture that had anything to do with the creature. What the heck? I said, grabbing my phone. I'm doing you a favor, he said. You don't want to go down that road. It only leads to bad things. I stared at my phone in shock. I couldn't believe that somebody that I had trusted, someone that I looked up to, the most senior ranger in the station, he had just destroyed evidence of this mythical creature's existence. But it was real. I saw it. Chuckles sounded from around the room. Dell turned and silenced them with a look. Why don't you take tomorrow off and get your head clear? He said. I found myself nodding and not really sure why, as he guided me out of the station toward my car. Hey, enjoy yourself, he said. Go do something relaxing. You've had a hard day. I started toward my car, Dell watching me the entire time. 
As soon as he had stepped back inside, I could hear another roar of laughter. I knew that it was at my expense. I got into my car in a daze. It wasn't until I looked at my phone that I realized just how violated I felt. I drove home and sat in the kitchen staring at the wall. I know that I saw it, I kept telling myself. I pondered what to do with no evidence and no one to back me up, but an idea came to me. I started looking for Bigfoot traps online. I looked up how to trap a Bigfoot and got some very interesting ideas. The next day, I went and bought some bear traps. When I drove to work the following morning, I got there early and quietly transferred my bear traps to the state truck that I would be using that day. I went inside and greeted the other rangers. They all seemed aloof, holding back like they were waiting for something to happen. I rounded the corner to the lockers and found out what. My locker had been covered in Bigfoot pictures. There was even one with a picture of a naked woman and Chewbacca's head taped over hers. The caption written it said, Come find me, big boy. This is why I hate people. I did my best to ignore as the titters and chuckles sounded behind me. I said nothing and I went to my truck. I sat there for a long time trying to get the rage to bleed off, but all I could think of was revenge. That taught me the hard lesson. Just keep your mouth shut. I learned that lesson well, but the damage is already done. The other rangers were already calling me a freak and a joke. That upset me, but also strengthened my resolve. It would have been easy to quit right there, but I was determined to prove myself. That I was as good as they were. That I wasn't crazy. That this thing really existed. As the man said, two out of three ain't bad. I started patrolling down by the lake more often, looking for my prey where I had seen it last. But I had the sinking suspicion that it was watching me, that it knew that I was hunting it. I tried to be nonchalant about it at first. I would drive by looking around like a good ranger should. But after a while, I started getting impatient. I would spend more time there than the rest of my route. It got to the point where people would come up to me and ask for help but I would ignore them or shuttle them off to another ranger. I started getting proactive in my hunt. I found a deer carcass near the place that I had seen the creature and I set the bear traps up around it. And then I staked out the area and I waited. For a long time. People came up to me, I ignored them. Animals came up to me and I ignored them. The only thing I was focused on was finding my prey. Morning turned to afternoon and turned to evening with no results. I sighed in resignation when it came time to close the gates. I decided to go home and let the traps do the work for me. The next morning I overslept and I drove like a madman to get to work, more specifically to get back to my stakeout. Imagine my surprise when I came back and found that I had caught something in my trap. A fellow ranger. Ron lay on the ground screaming and I went over to help him. Are you okay? I said. No, you idiot. I have a giant metal jaw attached to my leg, he said. I fumbled with the trap, trying to get it open only to have it snap shut on his leg again. Jesus, what the heck are you doing? He said. 
Are you too stupid to even open a trap? I stopped and looked at him. Well, at least I'm not stupid enough to step into one. I screw you. I stood up to leave. Where are you going? I whipped around on him. Screw you, I said. I come over here to help you and you're treating me like some piece of crap. Get out of your own dang trap. I started walking away. Okay, he said. I stopped and turned. Okay, what? Okay, I'm sorry. Will you please help me get out of this trap? I paused for a moment and then went back. Alright, I've never opened a trap before. I lied. Tell me what to do. Well, these are the springs, he said. Press down on them and it'll open the jaws. Once the jaws were open, he pulled his injured leg free. Thank God, he said checking out his injured leg. Who put that trap there anyway? No clue, I lied. I drove Ron straight to the hospital to get him taken care of. Once he was in the room and being treated, I laughed. But there was the matter of the illegal bear trap that had injured a park ranger. Dell was not happy. He pulled me into his office. Man, I can't believe this happened, he said. I've known Ron for years. He's a good friend and a good ranger. The person responsible for this is going to pay. I'll see him strung up by his entrails. Yes, sir, I said. This should never happen on park grounds. It's a deliberate attack and I won't rest until I see Ron's killer behind bars. He's not dead, sir. Whatever, you get the point, he said. And what do you know about this? Me? I said feigning ignorance. Why would you ask me? He shot me a steely glare. You know exactly why, he said. I was feeling the metaphorical handcuffs that click closed around my wrist. Because you didn't listen to me and let this Bigfoot thing go, he said. Other rangers have seen you hanging around where you saw that thing. I'm thinking maybe you saw the person who set that trap. I took a breath, feeling the cuffs fall off my wrist. Well, there have been a few unsavory types hanging around, I said. Well, I want you to track him down and find out who did this to one of my rangers, he said, slamming his fist on his desk. Yes, sir, I said as I walked out of his office. I couldn't believe it. I was off the hook. I was in charge of my own investigation. Stopping to think about it, it made perfect sense why he chose me. It was a crap job that no one else wanted to do, but I was going to do it to my absolute best of ability. I thought sarcastically. Yes, sir, I won't rest until I'm brought to justice. You can count on me, sir. I waited until I was a mile down the road before I started laughing. I went to the crime scene and explored it very carefully. Back and forth, over and over, I went through the area until there were no tracks anywhere that weren't mine. Of course, the only tracks before were mine too, and of course, Ron's. As an added bonus to tracking myself, I was able to do it in the area of the sighting, continuing my search for the creature. It was a win-win for me. Thank you, Ron, you piece of crap, for blundering into that trap and giving me the best assignment that I could have possibly have, I thought. As the days went by and I looked for myself in vain, 
I came across an area not too far from the lake where there was a cave with a well-worn path to it. At first I thought it was a bear cave, but then I found a couple of the tracks that had been deleted off my phone by a certain ranger. I took pictures of the tracks and made sure that I sent them to myself by email. And I also kept my mouth shut about it, at least to my idiot co-workers. My mind playfully wondered how many more I could trick into a bear trap, or maybe something worse. I smiled as I chided myself for such thoughts. Suddenly, I felt that something was wrong. The birds had stopped singing. I turned to find the creature standing four feet from me. I was amazed at how silent it had moved, but my amazement quickly gave way to fear as a yellow river ran down the inside of my pants. It was even more huge up close, at least eight feet tall and completely covered in brown fur. It had bared its teeth and was flexing its massive hands. For some reason, I don't think that it liked me very much. Hey, go figure. It lunged at me with impossible speed. I tried to dodge, but my boot got stuck on a tree root and I tripped. I fell backward and landed hard on my back, knocking the wind out of me. I laid there helpless at the mercy of this beast. All it had to do was carry me into its cave and I would never be seen again, except for in smelly little piles hours later on. That was a happy thought. I tried to regain my normal breathing, surprised that it hadn't dragged me away yet. As I came around and the stars floated around my head turned back into trees, I saw the creature laying face down a few yards from me. I rose slowly and approached it. I could see its back rising and falling, so I knew that it was still breathing. I took out my phone and took pictures, just in case it didn't kill me, or in case it got up and ran away. I even leaned close and took a selfie with it in the background. Just then, it took a slightly deeper breath and I skittered away. When it didn't jump up and rip my arms out of my sockets, I took a closer look. There was a little blood laying beside its head, which was laying on top of a big rock. Apparently, when it had lunged at me, it wasn't counting on me falling and it dove right into the rock, and it knocked itself out cold. This was it. The golden goose had pulled a muscle in its wing while it flew over me and landed in my lap. I ran to the truck and grabbed the tranquilizer gun and a lot of netting. As I ran back, the thought of it not being there drove me to distraction. All my hard work of looking into this perfect scenario would have been for nothing. I ran as fast as I could, carrying a big net on my back and I prayed that it was still there. When I got there, it was stirring and trying to get up. I dropped the net and fumbled with the train gun, nearly shooting myself in the process until I finally aimed. It saw me just as I pointed the gun at it, our eyes locked. It was a magical moment until I squeezed the trigger and sent him back to La La Land. He probably wasn't going to be very happy when he woke up though, plus I accidentally shot him in the crotch. I made sure to reload the gun just in case and then tried to roll him over onto the netting. He felt like he weighed a thousand pounds. I racked my brain on how to get him out of there and eventually came up with a solution. I backed the truck up through a half mile of trees, 
leaving scratches on the sides and almost leaving a rearview mirror behind. I managed to get close enough to hook the gnat out of the trailer hedge. I dragged him out to the road and stopped to figure out my next move. My house was about 10 miles away. If I dragged him the whole way, all I would have left would be a Bigfoot burger. I couldn't lift him and it was after hours so. There was no one else around to help me get him into the bed. Not that I really wanted anybody else seeing him. I panned around and I found the solution. There was a small embankment about four feet high. I drove the truck onto it and then drove very carefully straight down it. I was terrified that I would flip the truck end over end and that would be the end of my little adventure. But I just kept moving slowly as the front wheels touched down and kept going. Next was the tricky part. I got the back wheels on the ground and then gunned it forward and slammed it in reverse. His head was hanging over the edge when I backed up and I accidentally pinned it between the truck gate and the dirt bank. I pulled forward a little and grabbed the netting, pulling with every ounce of strength that I had. Ever so slowly his prone body inched forward until he had reached the tipping point and rolled into the truck's bed. When he flopped down, one of his feet hit the back window and shattered it. Great, I thought. Hey boss, when I was capturing the creature you said doesn't exist in the company vehicle, oh yeah, I broke the window. Is that covered by our insurance? I was breathing hard until I was done. I covered him with a tarp and drove away, racking my brain about where I would take him. As I was thinking, I passed a storage unit that was somewhat remote. It was just off the back road that I was on, and it didn't seem like a lot of traffic passed this way. I called up and rented a unit with my credit card, and then showed up and backed the truck up to it. My cargo was starting to stir again as I arrived, so I gave it another dose of the trank and I dragged it off the truck as best I could, meaning that it flopped over and nearly crushed me. Then not at all of it was inside and I couldn't close the door. So I turned the truck around and gently pushed it inside with the front bumper before closing and locking the door. Next came the tricky part. I couldn't go on Craigslist and advertise. One Bigfoot slightly used, 50 million or best offer. Fortunately, I knew a guy who had a cousin's brother who knew another guy's best friend. Who knew someone who knew someone else who might be able to get me in contact with someone who doesn't exist. I printed a few of the pictures, wrote a number with a lot of zeros in it, and sent it through the information chain. I got a phone call two hours later from someone who doesn't exist. He met me at the storage unit with a lot of heavily armed men dressed in black, combat gear, and no identifying patches. When we got there, the door was under attack. It had lots of newly formed dents in it and the sides were looking like they weren't going to hold much longer. My friend apparently had woken up and wasn't very happy with his new surroundings. I offered to open the door just an inch and hit him with another trank dart, but the man waved me off. The heavily armed gentleman worked with practice precision. They flung open the door and threw a containment net over him as he tried to run past them. Within moments, he was incapacitated. As they carried him out, his eyes landed on me. They narrowed and he let out a menacing growl. I'd say you made a new friend. 
The man said, handing me a business card with a number on it and nothing else. What's this for? I said. If you come across any more creatures of such a mythical nature, give me a call. Maybe we can help with the capture of the next one. Are you nuts? I said. You saw that thing, it's huge and it wants to kill me now. And yet here you are, very much alive. He reached into a pocket and pulled out a check. And very wealthy. I looked at the check and then back at him. He grinned. Might I suggest that you not spend too much and raise suspicions? So, you would pay me this much for each one of these things that I find? He nodded. And you would help me catch it? He nodded again. Well, looks like you just bought yourself a park ranger. I said offering my hand. And he shook it. Pleasure doing business with you. He said and then turned and walked away. Temptation is a terrible thing. I was tempted to buy a brand new Ferrari and drive it to work just to shove it in the noses of those guys who made fun of me. But then I realized that success is the best revenge. If I can nab another creature or two, I could buy my own little island and retire. I'm thinking maybe Hawaii. My investigation into the bear trap took me to a place where I'd heard there's been some trouble lately with missing hikers. Not that I really care about the hikers. In this park, we should rename the trails for which cryptids hunt on it. That way, when these hikers ignore the warnings and blunder into the dens of these dangerous creatures, they'll only have themselves to blame. I'm thinking maybe I can make my job easier by buying the land that has the cryptid that I'm looking for and then clear-cut all the trees so it has no place to hide. Now I know what you're thinking, it would just run away to another spot. Not the way that I would clear-cut. Start with a hundred machines on the outside of the property and work our way into the center so it has nowhere to go. As I looked around the land and daydreamed, a hiker came running up to me. Please, you need to help me, she said. Oh, what's the problem? I said, feeling less than interested. My husband and brother, they were attacked. By an animal. She lowered her eyes. I don't really know what it was. It seemed unnatural. My ears perked up and I became laser focused on helping this poor woman. Don't worry ma'am, I said. Show me where it happened and I'll take care of it. Oh thank God, she said as we started down the trail. I was worried that you wouldn't believe me. Trust me ma'am, I said. I want to find out what happened as much as you do. I would like to extend a large thank you to this week's Creepscast sponsor, Audible. James Patterson's Thrilling Adventure series gets an exclusive audio-only origin story in Daniel X, Genesis, brought to life by an all-star cast. Daniel is an ordinary teenager just trying to fit in at school when he suddenly finds out, on his 16th birthday no less, that he's anything but ordinary. Not only is he an alien, but he has superpowers that let him conjure anything that he wants. And it turns out that his parents didn't die in a car accident, but they were killed in an epic battle with an intergalactic villain. So those superpowers are just what Daniel needs to join the fight, if he can muster the courage to save the human race. It's a fast-paced, funny, fully immersive adventure featuring performances by Michael Asimino. Abigail Breslin, Mercedes Rule, 
Jimmy Simpson, and many more. You can find it only on Audible. Listen at audible.com slash genesis. Again, that's audible.com slash genesis. Thank you to Audible for sponsoring this week's episode. I fell into the back rooms. I'm not sure I'll survive. Written by Mr. Mills of 45. I moved into my current house with my parents about three years ago in 2006. It seems so long ago now that the number is in front of me. But you're not here to listen to me reminisce about times that have since passed. So I'll try my best to get right to the point without adding too much unnecessary fluff. My name is Alex. I'm 15 years old and I've been trying to convince my parents that something is seriously wrong with our house. You see, the first few years that we were here were fine. Nothing out of the ordinary. I had actually loved the place. My bedroom here was much bigger than the one at the old house, providing a lot more space for my gaming setup. But recently, within the last couple of months, I found something in our basement that I'm not entirely sure is actually as real as I think it is. Maybe I really am going crazy. It's probably why my parents won't even bother to find out about what I'm talking about. Good one, they tell me. You're being paranoid. I figured that if they weren't going to take my word for it, then I was going to need to present them with some hard evidence of it. For both them and anyone else who can do something about this. If they can do something about this. Luckily enough, my parents had purchased me a camcorder for my 14th birthday. I had expressed some interest in film and video production. Up to this point, I had used it to create some amateur movies with friends from school, which were mainly just short clips of us walking through the woods and attempting to look frightened. Nonetheless, it being summer vacation helped me to be able to do this undisturbed. They more than likely assumed that I would be doing nothing but sitting in my room playing video games anyway. Not that I blame them in all honesty. Once I knew my parents had both left for work in the morning, I sprung up out of bed and grabbed my camcorder, not even realized that I hadn't taken the time to get dressed first. So I merely slipped on a t-shirt along with my pajama pants and my socks before beginning to head downstairs. I made sure to give every room above the basement a quick look through in order to make sure that I was the only one in the house at the time. After which I stood at the basement door, putting my hand on the knob and taking a deep breath. It wasn't that I was having second thoughts, necessarily, but I considered things that could potentially go wrong before ultimately deciding the risk was worth it to prove my claims. So I opened the door and took my first steps down the creaky stairs, reaching over to my right and hitting the switch to turn the basement light on. Our basement itself wasn't something to write home about. It was what you would usually expect. A cold, brown-painted, concrete floor and wall rectangular expanse with wood support and insulation line in the ceiling. Old dusty washing machines, piles of both dirty and freshly clean clothes in an assortment of different baskets. Cobwebs lining every corner of the room, with centipedes worming their way underneath the cracks in the walls. I made it to the bottom of the stairs before taking a left and heading into the more recreational side of the basement. Although the only thing that truly made it recreational was a simple lawn chair and an old coffee table, one that I'm sure hadn't been used in the past several months. Nonetheless, I soon made it to the thing that I was talking about. 
the wall that was opposite the lawn chair and coffee table. Call me crazy because in a minute, I'm sure you're going to be asking what could be so wrong with a simple wall. Well, this wall that was slightly darker than the rest, even those immediately to both its right and left, it had this shadow that was eternally cast onto it, even when there wasn't a light source or object to create one. And sometimes it flickered, as if it were a light bulb. I've seen it happen before, and I saw it taking place yet again right before my eyes. The first few times that it happened, I could have sworn it was just my imagination. But now it was clear that my imagination had nothing to do with it. I thought that was the strangest part of this entire ordeal. I had come down to look at it before and thought the out-of-the-ordinary phenomena would end there. Until I got the balls to touch it. I mainly wanted to see if there was something that I was missing. That maybe it had something to do with the paint, or I just had something really wrong with my eyes. But that was me trying to rationalize something I didn't understand. Because yesterday, I had grabbed a broomstick and shoved it right up against the wall, expecting some paint to chip or some material to crumble. But no, instead, the broomstick simply went through the wall. I'm not really sure how to describe it in an intellectual or a detailed manner. It is as simple and as absurd as it sounds. My broomstick went through a solid concrete wall. I even walked forward with it in my hands at the time, and it continued going deeper in the wall, feeling no obstacles or objects stopping it. To make it clear, there were no holes, no cracks or breaches large enough to fit the width of the broomstick within. It was flat and smooth and yet the broomstick sunk further in as if it were lodged in quicksand. And then, after some careful but clearly not enough consideration, I put my hand up to the wall and once my elbow had disappeared, I pulled back. There was no pain, no extreme temperature, no bugs. Someone or something waiting to grab, bite, or claw me. It was just shocking, in a way that made me only want to learn more. Maybe I just never noticed it before, but I could have sworn the wall that looked much more normal when we had first moved in. Not that I had ever spent very much time in the basement. Maybe I had no idea what I was talking about. Maybe I just hadn't truly paid attention enough to notice any changes. But last time it was only my arm, and this time, I was going to put my entire body inside. I wanted to step through, to see what was on the other side of the wall. There is a part of me that even considered this to be some sort of hologram projection, and that somehow was less insane than what it actually ended up being. But nonetheless, I'll always look back and see this as one of the most ill-informed acts, but the curiosity in me simply couldn't be contained. I needed answers. So with my camcorder still in hand, I approached the wall, reaching out my hand yet again to make sure that it was still passing through. And as you can infer, the result was rather unsurprising. So after I took a deep breath and looked behind my shoulder at the rest of my basement, I stepped forward slowly, my natural instincts telling me that the wall was still solid despite me vanishing further into it. But suddenly I felt like I was being jerked forward and falling. The actual feeling of falling only lasted for less than half a second before I hit the ground again with a thud. My camcorder fell out of my hand as I collided with what I assumed was another floor or wall. The texture under me felt rugged like a carpet with a bit of moisture. 
I rubbed my head and opened my eyes, thinking that I had fallen into a section of her house that I wasn't supposed to discover. But no, that wasn't it at all. What I saw when I looked up didn't make any sense. It didn't even seem possible. Part of me had wondered if I had accidentally inhaled a hallucinogen or something. In front of me was what I could only describe as a large, messily segmented and built set of rooms, hallways and corridors. All the walls were covered in this truly awful, bright yellow wallpaper that looked as if a small child had picked it out. It wasn't easy in the eyes in the slightest. I got myself to my feet, looking over to my right and seeing my camcorder on the ground, not broken and still recording. I leaned over and picked it up, putting it back in my hand before immediately turning around to get a better bearing on my surroundings. How did I get here? Why was I here? And what was this place? There were a million thoughts running through my head, and even though it was the last thing that I wanted to do, I remained calm. That's what you always do in situations like this. You must remain calm. Panicking helps nothing and no one. I was quiet for the most part in this strange place. The only sound being a slight electric buzzing noise. It had an irritating hum to it and I couldn't help but look up to find the origin of it. Seeing a white tiled ceiling with poorly placed fluorescent lights running along it. Most of which had possessed a subtle flicker. Hello? I called out. Is anyone there? No response. So I ran up to one of the walls and started pushing on it. The moist carpet squelched a bit beneath my feet as I heaved myself forward in an attempt to pass through the wall as I had earlier but to no avail. I turned and dashed over to the wall behind me, pushing and shoving myself up against it. But it, like the other, was solid. I backed away from the wall, coming to the conclusion that I needed to save my energy if I was going to get out of here anytime soon. And while I imagined many ways this could get worse, it didn't make it any easier to accept the fact that I was trapped. Trapped in this almost otherworldly sub-basement. So I started by wandering down the nearest corridor to my left. It seemed to be around 200 feet long with dozens of intersecting halls connected to it on both the right and left walls. That same horrendous yellow wallpaper was consistent throughout. Even the humming and buzzing of the lights above followed me as I walked down the hallway. The fact that it was the only noise present in this building besides the squelching of moist carpet as I walked only further drove me up the wall. It was maddening in the most mundane yet most unsettling way possible. It's crazy how much humans rely on sound for comfort because I had only been in this strange expanse for about a minute and it had already felt like hours. Hello, I yelled once again, hoping for even a semblance of a response. Is, Is anyone, anyone here? here? Can you hear me? Like the previous attempt, there was nothing in response. Not a sound or sign of another human being. My breathing practically became twice as loud to make up for the dreadful silence. I soon encountered the end of the narrow corridor. I wandered into what appeared to be a much larger rectangular expanse. The basic design and layout were still the same, with multiple other corridors converging in the middle, kind of like an intersection. The lights flickered more heavily in the middle of the intersection, the humming and buzzing becoming almost unbearable. I don't know who approved the funding for this place, but they had to have been out of their freaking minds. 
I hadn't quite been able to come to a decision about which direction I should have gone at the intersection. All I know is that I wanted to get as far away as possible from that dang buzzing. I scoped out each hallway from where I stood with my eyes, with the one on the left catching my attention the most. Not because I was genuinely curious, but because it actually had something distinct going for it. And by distinct, I meant that it was dimmer than the other three, with only one of the fluorescent lights in the entire visible length of it. But despite the poor lighting, I noticed something about halfway down its length. On the ground was what looked to be a piece of paper laid out on the ground, just a single sheet that contained text written in red ink. Being the only distinguishable proof of life or the presence of other human beings in this place, I began to creep down the corridor and approach it, looking back over my shoulder with the undeniable feeling of being watched as I did so. I reached down picking up the note as I made it over, only to make the unnerving discovery that the red ink was not ink at all. It was blood. I don't know how long I've been here or how much longer I've got left. I'm scared and it feels like it's been days and I haven't been able to find a way out. All I did was come home from work, throw myself into bed and then I was here. I found this paper laying around in here, along with someone's car keys that were laying around and had blood on them. I haven't seen another person since I got here, but I'm not alone here. There's something else lurking in these halls, and it isn't any man or woman. I gotta keep quiet and stay low, or whatever got the guy who had these keys belonged to, it's gonna come for me as well. And whoever finds this, if anybody finds this, keep quiet and stay low, and God help you if that thing hears you. I felt my heart sink in my stomach as I turned to look behind me, only to find nothing but the slight flickering of the lights yet again, but I was more than on edge. As crazy as it sounded, I believed every word that was written here. This wasn't some practical joke or prank. Even the most elaborate of pranksters didn't have the resources for something like this. I can't count the number of times that I've seen a horror movie where Something that's obviously not a joke is treated like one by the protagonist. And guess what? Well, they end up dead. There was no name or other information on the note. And since I was made aware that there might be something bloodthirsty lurking in here with me, the last thing that I needed to do was carry around this note and have the smell of blood on me. So I left it, dropping it right at my feet. And I began heading further down the corridor into a cylinder-shaped room. It was still more of the same as far as design and architecture went. I took another deep breath, preparing to head down the right corridor of the cylinder room. But before I could even move an inch, I heard a sound that made my blood freeze. The rest of me stayed right where I was by extension. The sound in question was a loud, ear-shattering screech that didn't sound all that far from behind me. I stood there completely terrified while my previous confidence quickly had drained. I could only hope that I wasn't seen by whatever it was, and I wasn't, not yet anyway. Once I had mustered up the courage to finally turn around, I didn't see anything behind me. It was still the same yellow walls and moist carpet, and yet it somehow became even more sinister than before. And that thing, was it what killed the person who wrote the note? Whatever this being was, I could now hear it getting closer. Its footsteps were quick and frantic so I picked up the pace a little bit. My slow march turned into a brisk stroll, 
I couldn't help but feel like my heart was going to explode out of my chest from the dread the situation had filled me with. I made a left turn, and then another before booking it down into a wide corridor before making a right. This place really was a nonsensical maze. The architecture made absolutely no sense, but I refused to let this yellow wasteland become my grave. The creature shrieked again, but this time the tone was slightly changed. Now sounding a bit more celebratory and more triumphant, as if it had accomplished something that it extracted joy from. It was only once I heard what came next that I understand why. No, 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 came the desperate, horrified screams of what sounded like, and a dull man who knew that he was about to meet a truly awful fate. I couldn't pinpoint exactly which hallway or room this chaos was coming from. All I know is that it wasn't more than 30 to 40 feet away. Regardless, I wasn't intending to play hero against some creature that I hadn't even seen the appearance of. Stop! Stop! No! The man began to cry out, only to be cut off by his own shriek, accompanied by the sound of bone snapping and flesh tearing. His cries soon became gurgled, only lasting a few more seconds before he was drowned out by the sound of aggressive snarling and growling. At this point, I was sprinting, tears of both stress and fear forming in my eyes. I quickly raised my fingers up in order to wipe them away and keep them from blurring my vision as I ran. I eventually found a tight, almost closet-sized space at the end of one of the hallways. I didn't hesitate to slip inside and get myself out of sight as soon as humanly possible. Once in, I headed to the corner furthest from the opening, sat down and put my knees to my chest before shoving my face in my arms and taking surprising care to not be too loud, lest I want to draw that thing over and then really have something to cry about. I could only think about how I really might die here, that I'll be the next victim of whatever that monster is. If there were more people that were alive and trapped in this, whatever this place is, then I have to try and find them and make a plan to get out of here once and for all. I let myself stare into the darkness of this crevice as I sat there with the illusion of safety, while still in more terror than ever. I only just now realized that I dropped my camcorder in all the chaos of reacting and running, but most of me honestly didn't care, proving a point it wasn't worth it the moment I fell into this place. I should have left the wall alone. I should have just minded my own business and not poked my nose where it shouldn't have been. As helpless as I felt, I know my idiotic actions had a part to play in the predicament that I found myself in. But I was here now and I had to grapple with the reality of the less intelligent moves that I made. If I was going to get out of here alive, the last thing I needed to do was to sit here and mentally check out. I needed to be on my toes and alert. So once I had mustered the strength to stand back up, I did just that. I was still no superhero or brave soldier, but I was someone who wanted to survive. Someone who wanted to live to share a story I'm sure most would not believe. I quietly walked over to where I had entered the small den, turning to peek my head through the skinny opening into the larger hallway. But I immediately froze when I heard footsteps, footsteps that weren't heavy or slow but abundant and quick as if whatever was moving was moving on far more than just two lambs. They were coming from down the corridor to my left. I could make out the fact that whatever it was, it was going to turn the corner at any second. I retreated back into the den and got as far away from the opening as was physically possible, 
but my morbid curiosity as to whatever I was trapped in this maze with, it couldn't be contained. It just had brutally killed someone, so any sort of negotiating or attempting to reason with it was out of the question. All I could do was sit here and wait as it began to walk down the hallway, approaching closer and closer to the den. Once again, its footsteps were soft, yet horrendously abundant. It sounded more like scurrying. It had this almost tapping-like rhythm that made my skin crawl. Like a spider the size of a dog running down a hallway. I held my breath as it approached, only letting myself exhale when absolutely necessary. I didn't dare poke my head out the entrance or attempt to get a direct look at it. But the shape of its shadow on the wall behind the den opening did more than enough to make sure that I never forget this experience for the rest of my life. The lowest part of its body looked to be composed of at least a dozen thin but long limbs that all moved in unison with one another in a twisted uncanny manner, like a centipede that had been sloppily stitched together. Above that set of horrific legs was a long rectangular frame with dozens more bent and thin limbs protruding from each side of it. I couldn't even tell if this thing had had, definitely not one that I could make out with the shadow. Who in their right mind would keep a monstrosity like this in here? Was it locked up? Did it kill the people keeping it contained and get out? Is that why this place is abandoned? Even if I did have answers to all those questions, it still doesn't explain the fact that it seems like I'm far from the only average person to end up trapped in here. It really was something out of a child's nightmare, anyone's nightmare in all honesty. It stopped only feet in front of the entrance to my den. I prayed to every god that I could think of, hoping that it wouldn't detect or sense me. The creature, whatever it was, let out a low growl, a far departure from the pitch of sounds it was making previously. I could feel it vibrate the wall that my back was against as I held my breath. Even if I wanted to make a sound, I couldn't. No noise could escape me. My terror was busy holding it in. It seemed to turn side to side as if in the middle of looking for something, but the creature didn't move in either of those directions, instead choosing to continue to move forward and to turn the corner down another hall, allowing me to live for another day, at least for the time being. I made an escape while I had the chance, busting out of the entrance to the den and immediately making a mad dash for the left in the lightest footsteps possible. Nearly right after turning the corner, I spotted my camcorder on the floor, at the far end of the hallway. It had been smashed with dozens of broken off pieces all over the area surrounding it. All the footage and proof that I had were gone. I wasn't aware at the time if there was some way to extract or salvage anything off of it. I could only wonder how mad my friend would be when I tell him all those short films that we created using the thing were toast. But there wasn't much time to mourn the loss of my hard work, so I kept moving. When I made it back to the cylinder room this time, I chose a different path to go down. Last thing I needed was to go anywhere besides the total opposite direction of where that thing was headed. I was now more than alert than ever as I trekked through this nonsensical expanse, aware that there is far worse waiting for me in these walls than simple starvation or severe loneliness as a result of isolation. In all honesty, I've always loved my privacy and being away from others, but not like this. There was more of the same everywhere that I went, 
yellow walls, white ceiling, and smelly moist carpet. The hum buzz of the lights became a background song at a certain point. I had just accepted the reality that it wasn't going to stop anytime soon. Regardless, I took three left turns and then three right turns before heading straight for what felt like nearly a quarter of a mile then taking another left. I thought that I was surely leaving the creature in the dust, and that it would never find me in this endless maze. But as I was dashing down one of the corridors, I noticed something at the end that caught my eye, something that I thought might be my ticket out of here. My saving grace and so I slowed down, let myself take in a few deep breaths, and try to get my heartbeat back to a more reasonable speed. I then looked back over at what had my attention, making out what looked to be two thin, long objects protruding out from the ceiling. The distance made it difficult for me to make out details in the shapes, but the colors consisted of a dark blue for the majority of these objects' lengths, with them ending in a light brown towards the bottom. Please, I whispered out loud, please let this be it. My predictions were generally optimistic. I thought that I'd be able to climb my way out of these walls and be free. But as I got closer, so did the reality of what these so-called objects actually were. It had gotten to a point where I was only around seven or eight footsteps away from these things, and as I looked up, my bottom jaw hung ajar. They were legs, human legs, leg which had protruded from a section of the ceiling where the tile had been removed, although from the looks of it, it was more like violently torn and or busted off. I had morbidly assumed the rest of the corpse was laying along the other tiles within the ceiling. How did I know that it was a corpse? Well, it definitely wasn't just the pair of jeans and old boots the legs were covered in, but a foul stench as well. A stench that was irrefutably rot and decay. One that I had only ever experienced when walking near dead animals in the woods and near my house. Except here, it had been cranked up to eleven. I threw my left hand over my nose, fighting the urge to lose my lunch as I looked up in horror. There I was, standing just several feet underneath a pile of rotty meat that was once a fellow human being, a fate that could only have just as easily become mine if I didn't get lucky. But what could have possibly done this? Did the creature chasing me possess the ability to scale surfaces? Its anatomy seems to suggest that it might be the case. And if it didn't, then that means there was something else that I had to watch out for in this maze. The thought of which did nothing to help me feel any better. Eventually, the vomit that had risen its way into my throat had overpowered my efforts to keep it inside. I took my hand away, opened my mouth, and all over the wall it went. While the smell of rot continued pounding its way into my nostrils, I had to turn back to get away from it as soon as possible. But just as I had regathered myself enough to start running and find a new way to go, the sound of many rapid footsteps in succession made me quickly rethink my actions. I slammed the brakes on harder than I ever had before, as I heard them coming from around the corner closest to my left. That thing, it was coming back. Coming back for me. And I'm sure the smell of the body directly above me didn't help much either. I stood there, frozen like the terrified moron that I was. Truthfully, there is a part of me that wanted to give up and accept my fate. To let this, whatever this was, kill me and get it over and done with. 
But that quickly dissipated once I saw one of that thing's legs begin to wrap around the corner at the end of the hallway that I was looking at. It was a grotesque, black, almost asphalt-like color. A bit of blood is staining the tip that also stained the wallpaper. My fighter, more precisely, flight instincts kicked into gear. I didn't bother sticking around to get a better look at what I knew was a truly horrifying appearance. I turned and ran once more, reaching the opposite end of the hallway in mere seconds, before immediately making a sharp left turn into another. I heard the creature let out a blood, a chilling screech as it gave chase, those many legs stampeding along the carpet and the walls as it pursued me relentlessly. Any effort to be subtle or quiet was now in vain. I made a few more random turns both left and right, hoping to confuse the beast, but my efforts seemed to be pointless, as I was still within its line of sight despite what I had done to get out of it. I huffed and wheezed as I looked for anything, anything that could take me to a higher or lower elevation. Stairs, an elevator, a ladder. Because I was more than sure that it would fall victim to fatigue long before my pursuer did. After a few more twists and turns, endlessly trying to make myself as elusive as possible, I began to slow down as my exhales became quicker. My face went red and sweat began to drench my face. A stitch in my side began to form as well. I knew that I was doomed if I didn't find anything soon. I truly thought that things couldn't have gotten any worse than the terrifying sequence in which I was currently trapped. But this strange dimension had an excellent way of proving me wrong. Without looking, I made another left as I heard the creature shriek yet again behind me, alerting me that it was still in hot pursuit. I tried my best to keep my pace as I dashed down the hallway that I had just turned into, looking at the floor for a few seconds as my muscles ached and cried out for mercy. Even the adrenaline couldn't keep me going forever. When I looked up, however, I was met with the sight of a dead end. No turns or other corridors. There was no way to go but the way that I came. I was only several feet in front of the wall that cut me off. I tried to turn and make a mad dash back the way that I came only for the creature to leap out from around the corner and cut me off, forcing me to stumble backward and abandon my decision as I fell right on my butt. Its centipede-like legs wrapped around the wall once again as they reached forward. The creature then begins to move its body from around the corner, revealing more of its appalling appearance to me as I crawled backward in utter disgust. Saying that it looked like a mutant centipede would be an insult to such a creature. I had trouble believing even God himself could conjure up such a monstrosity. The entity's skin was a dark, near pitch black tone of color, with jagged streaks of dirty white patterns running along it that looked more like scars than any sort of natural anatomical patterns. When the beast stood to attention, it had to be well over seven feet, absolutely dwarfing me as if I were a toddler in the presence of a grown man. The entire perimeter of its actual body had those thin limbs protruding from it, all of them moving in unison with each other. Once again, a few of them still possessed blood on their tips, who I'm assuming belonged to the man that I heard die screaming earlier on. The body of the creature was a sharp rectangular shape. It mostly lacked features save for the giant gaping hole towards the top, which I had concluded to be its mouth one without any teeth, just a pitch-black, voidous hole. This thing knew that it had me cornered, 
each end of its mouth contorted in a fashion as if it were trying to smile at me, but it just about lacked the necessary muscle structure to do so. Regardless, it wanted me to know that I was trapped, at its mercy for it to kill me in a gruesome, agonizing way. I was going to become its plaything and its food. I still had some self-preservation left over, despite the rational part of my brain telling me that there was nothing that I could do. But I managed to get to my feet nonetheless, beginning to back up as the creature slowly lurched forward, dozens of its limbs all moving in tandem with each other. Please, I announced softly, holding my hands out in front of my face as I continued backing up while my legs trembled. And just as I was expecting myself to hit the wall that was behind me, I felt my body suddenly jerk backward, as if I had just been yanked by something powerful. I yelped as my back impacted what felt like a hard carpet surface, and suddenly things weren't nearly as bright. I pulled my hands away from my face, revealing an entirely new environment around me. A library, just a plain old library. The walls were just a plain light brown color, and the ceiling was tiled and there were fluorescent lights but they weren't buzzing or flickering. The carpet itself didn't feel moist either, just like regular everyday carpet that was actually maintained. I coughed for a few seconds trying to comprehend what had just occurred, in a fury of confusion but it clicked soon enough. I had passed through the wall, the same way that I had passed through the one that had me end up in that yellow-colored death trap in the first place. But doesn't that mean the creature could follow me? That single question made me quickly tense my muscles as I prepared to throw myself up to my feet, only to be stopped halfway by the comforting sound of an older woman's voice. Are you okay, young man? I turned to seeing several different people around the library with their eyes on me, some in lounge chairs reading books, some at the desk in front of computers, and some standing next to shelves with books in hand. I almost caught a glimpse of the woman who had spoken, who I had guessed correctly to be on the older side, with long gray hair and wrinkly skin, dressed in a button shirt and khakis with a pair of thin glasses on. What? This is home, right? I said, letting out a few more coughs. Everybody shared glances with each other, more than likely thinking that I was in some sort of state of delusion. The older woman informed me that she hadn't seen me enter the library, that everyone had heard a sudden thud and there I was, sprawled out on the floor and coughing, so she came over to see if I was okay. The police were contacted to come and take me home. I obliged, wanting to make everything as easy as possible after what I had just gone through. But during everything that transpired, the library staff making the call, my parents talking with the officers, all I could think about was that place and that thing. You see, what made it even more confusing was the fact that I had entered that place several hours before my parents were supposed to arrive home. Yet I could have sworn my whole ordeal there lasted no longer than an hour, and I was never knocked unconscious or asleep at any point. Nonetheless, I'm now writing this to try and make sense of what had happened to me, but I don't think that'll ever truly happen. I'm sure no one will really believe my story, but... It helps to get it out there anyway, at least for my own sanity. I have my first appointment with my new therapist next week, and not by choice either. Therapy's never really been my thing. But I guess that's what happens when you ramble to your parents about getting stuck in a different dimension and running from mutant creatures with impossible anatomy. 
Not that I'll even attempt to tell her any of that. Although I'm sure my parents might do it for me when first meeting her. But if I've learned anything from all this, it's that I'll never, and I mean never, go near that wall again. I'm a park ranger who's tired of park ranger stories. Written by Horror Writer 1717. I've been a park ranger for 37 years. I've worked for several parks. Wherever I go, there's usually a state park nearby. For years, I did my job without much more than the normal amount of problems. You know, the kind that I'm supposed to solve. Like lost kids, lost parents, lost pets. Pretty much if it could get lost, it would. And I was usually the one to find it. That was my graft. These last few years since I've moved to my current park, I've found a heck of a lot more than I bargained for. I've seen these stories on YouTube of creatures that lurk in the parks and cause all kinds of havoc. Well, it turns out that some of them are truer than you might want to believe. And then there's the rest. Making ridiculous claims of incredible monsters that stalk and feast on the hapless hikers in the wee hours of the morning, only to be caught or killed by the heroic park ranger. The monsters, not the hikers. I've listened to so many of these stories while I keep watching a fire tower or as I'm driving through the park. I usually end up laughing the whole way through the story. I know that they're made up and that's fine. I know there are entire websites that deal with these so-called true stories. They even post in the instructions to pretend that your story is real even when it isn't. I've read so many of the comments in these videos asking if it's true, accusing the author of making it up, and yet they watch anyway. So yeah, I get it. People want to be scared. They want to be entertained. The problem is, most people want to read or see or hear something scary, and then come back to reality and laugh it off. They've never experienced what it's like to, well, let's just say my story is a little bit different. I get the irony of complaining about park ranger stories only to tell my own. It seemed a bit odd when I started working at my current park that they had had a rash of cryptic reports, but it seemed like they were never the same one. Bigfoot would be sighted, and the next a skinwalker. After that would be a werewolf. It was like the park had suddenly had a cryptid population explosion. Seeing that I was the new guy despite having 30 plus years on the job, plus having a reputation for finding people. I was the one that got elected to chase down these creatures. Lucky me, I guess. I don't know why they didn't pick Eli to do it. He knew these hills and valleys better than anybody. And plus, the man was nearly seven feet tall and didn't seem to have an ounce of fat on him. 
The only way that I would ever want to fight him was with a chainsaw. Unfortunately, he also had a second job, and only worked as a park ranger part-time. But Eli was the most soft-spoken soul that you would ever want to meet. The gentle giant, we used to call him. He had worked for the park most of his adult life. It was a real shame what had happened to him. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This park didn't have the highest mountains or the biggest river. But it had plenty of places for someone or something to hide if they didn't want to be found. Every time that I drove through the ribbon of asphalt that cuts through the heart of the forest, I was reminded of that. Sometimes, if I was listening to one of those creepypastas while driving through the densest part of the park, I would have to shut it off so I wouldn't feel like something was watching me from the trees. Ironically, something was. I drove to the trail where the last set of hikers went missing. It had been over a week and these search crews were starting to lose hope. I walked the trail that the hikers had walked in, scoured the ground for any track, any sign of a struggle. By the time that I had reached the last spot, they were seeing I hadn't noticed a single thing out of place. It was almost as if they went willingly to their demise. Now, of course, that was negative thinking. I had a problem with that. I always thought of the worst thing that could happen. No one knew for sure that these people were dead, but every day decreased their chances of a happy ending. It was a strange thing looking for people and hoping they were alive when most of us knew that there was no way that they could be. Something made me venture in a certain direction. Call it chance, call it dumb luck. Call it that thing that helped me find so many people where others had failed. I had walked up to an area that was covered in heavy brush, nearly impossible to get through. I pulled out my hunting knife and started hacking away until I had formed my own trail. Thorns and sharp branches had tore at me, ripped my uniform, but still I kept pressing forward. Finally I made it through into a small clearing, and that's where I saw it. There is a backpack that had been ripped to pieces and there were spots of blood on it. I immediately radioed for others to follow my path and soon was the center of a bee's nest of activity as they scoured the area for any other clues. Well, unfortunately, they found some. Off in the corner, hidden from prying eyes, were three bodies. They were obviously dead and had been decaying for a while. There were several large bites taken out of each one. I took pictures of the bite marks as well as the victims. And then I started my own investigation. I was no longer looking for the victims. I was looking for the creature who had done this heinous thing. Whatever it was needed to be taken care of. I know as a park ranger I'm supposed to think of the animal's well-being as well as the people who visited the park, but, but this... This needed a response that had nothing to do with the safety of the animal. This was about protecting humanity from an apex predator who felt that it could kill with impunity. 
I searched the area for tracks and once I got away from where the bodies were and all the rest of the people, destroying any tracks that I might be able to use. Maybe I should have waited to call them down until I had gathered my evidence first. I lingered on the edge of the scene and was able to find some decent tracks. And whatever it was, it was massive. I pulled out a tape measure and measured the footprint at over 15 inches. I took some more pictures and then went back with the rest of the rescue crew. It was starting to get dark. I knew that I wouldn't find anything right now anyway. We had been tearing through the woods with all the subtlety of a 4th of July parade. Anything that might have been around was scared off by now. I tied a handkerchief around a tree branch and I pounded it into the ground close to where the tracks had started so I would have a good place to begin my track tomorrow. Someone had run back to a vehicle and brought back some body bags. Why anybody would bring body bags to a search party is beyond me, but we carried out the bodies with a good bit of difficulty. The thorns and branches ripped at the backs until they were nearly useless. Only Eli was able to get his body out, fairly ripped free by slinging it over his massive shoulder. I know that it wasn't the most respectful thing to do, but hey, got the job done. By the time that I got home, I was exhausted. I showered, grabbed a quick bite, and I went to bed. In the morning, I felt refreshed and ready to go to find this thing. I made sure that I had my sidearm on today, with plenty of ammo too. I carry a 44 Magnum. If I need to shoot, I want to make sure that I've got enough firepower. Some regular woodland creatures like a bear, it could take round after round from a 9mm, and it would only get angrier. The thing that I was pursuing was anything but a regular woodland creature. It had gotten the taste for human blood, and it would need to be put down. That was my goal, not to study it, not to relocate it, but to destroy it. I went back to where the search had ended so tragically yesterday. That's where my mission began. As I looked around the area, something struck me as odd. I remembered putting the branch with the handkerchief on it, near where the one footprint was. Only now, it had been moved and the footprint was gone. I pulled on my cell phone and looked at the picture that I had taken yesterday. Plain as day, there was the footprint. I could see the brush around it. I went to the place that perfectly matched the brush from yesterday, but only the footprint was gone. Was this thing covering its tracks? And how would it know to do something like that? Things weren't adding up. I found where I had placed my marker and I started searching the area, looking for more tracks. I chose a direction where I thought I saw a faint trail and I followed it. Several hundred yards later, there was a clearing, and at the edge was a partial footprint. I snapped a picture of the print and the surrounding area, just in case someone tried to mess with my directions again. When I started through the field, I heard a sound. It was a long, mournful wail that didn't sound like any animal call that I was familiar with. 
I tried to nail down a direction, but it was difficult with the hills around the area, sending echoes all throughout the park. I got a general feel for where it came from, and I started off in that direction, knowing that there were lots of hollows and caves that would make good hiding spots, if your goal was to stay away from people. As I walked, I got the distinct feeling that I was being watched. I know lots of people say that in these stories, but after 37 years of doing this, you get a sense about such things. I wasn't sure if this was stalking, dangerous watching, or only curiosity. But I do know the feeling didn't go away for a while, and the woodland creatures had gone silent, and they had stayed silent for a long time. And then just as suddenly as if I had stepped through a door, the sounds were back. I stopped and turned around to look at my surroundings. I pulled on my phone and took pictures all around me. And then I took a step back, the way that I had come, and all the noises had disappeared. I stepped forward and they returned. I stepped back and they were gone. I wanted to explore and map out this anomaly, but I knew that that would distract me from my hunt. So once again, I placed a marker on the ground and I took a picture of it. As I stepped away from it, I found my mind drawn back to the quiet place. It was strange and unnatural. I wanted to find out all about it. Even my hunt seemed somehow less important. A curiosity about this place was growing in my mind like a sickness, and I had to find out. I stopped and turned, and that's when I saw it. At first, I wasn't sure that I had. There were just trees, but one of them had an abnormality. A stump of a branch that had fallen off years ago. Only it wasn't a stump, it was a head. The tree was massive and this thing was behind it. The color of its head almost matched the tree. The thing that made it stand out was the eyes. It was leaning from behind the tree, staring at me. I don't know if it thought that I couldn't see it or if it didn't care if I did. I was around 50 yards away from it, too far for an accurate pistol shot, so I began moving slowly toward it. I picked a spot on the trees just to the left of it and I stared at that spot, moving slowly toward it while keeping my real target in my peripheral vision. I closed the distance between us to around 25 yards when I had reached the quiet place. It was strange that I didn't notice before. Not only were the normal sounds of the forest silenced, but my own movements were muffled somehow. I continued to inch my way closer to my prey, wanting to give myself the best possible chance of success. I slowly put my hand on my gun and pulled it out of the holster. In that instant, the head had disappeared. I went for broke, running toward the tree, keeping my eyes open for it running away. I got to the tree and stood ready on the far side. When I whipped around aiming my pistol, there was nothing there. I searched the tree line too, but it was gone. I started second-guessing myself when I looked down and saw a clear set of footprints. 
I took more pictures, but they were only a small consolation to what I could have had. I tried tracking it, but after 10 feet, it became jumbled in the brush and I had lost the track. But it was here, I knew it, and it was curious about me. Maybe I could use that to my advantage. I went home and packed up for the camping trip. I came back out to the spot that I saw it and I made camp in a clearing. It was strange to be on the quiet side. I wished that I could have set up camp where I could hear the nightly noises of crickets and woodland animals instead of this oppressive silence that made no sense. But I thought that if I was quiet, I might be able to hear it approach. I had baited the hook, and now armed with my pistol, my hunting knife, and a thermos full of hot coffee, I was hoping that it would take the bait. I sat by my small campfire and I kept watch. A few hours in, I made a fresh pot of coffee on the fire, just to be sure that my thermos was topped off. I knew that I would be as jittery as a June bug tomorrow if I lived that long. I had a rustling off to my right. In a blink, my gun was in my hand. I pulled out my flashlight and I looked when something big had stepped into the firelight. I aimed but didn't fire when I saw green instead of brown. Eli was standing there. Man, give me a heart attack, will ya? I said, putting my gun on the holster. He stood there silent for a long time, like he often did. What are you doing out here? He said. Well, I'm hunting. Hunting for what? For that thing that had killed those hikers. He seemed to consider that for a while. What are you going to do? He said. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to kill it, stuff it, and hang it over my fireplace. He thought in silence again. Do you need any help? Absolutely, I said. If I do manage to bag it, I'll need someone your size to help me carry it out of here. Besides, it'll be nice to have some companionship while I'm out here. This silence is driving me about half crazy. He considered that and then found an old log, and he pulled it up to the other side of the fire. You want some coffee, I said. No thanks. And then we sat in silence. It was well into the night before either of us spoke again. Hey, I've got the tent pitched, I said. Do you want to take a little rest and I'll call you if I see anything? He looked at the tent. No, I'll be fine, he said. What about you? I'm good. I just wish this thing would show up so I can get down to business. He pondered that for a while. Why do you hate it so much? He said. Because he killed those people, I said. That would be enough, but to do what he did to them, it was too much. So you're willing to get blood on your hands to stop this thing from shedding blood? Absolutely. Again, he silently soaked in my answers like a sponge. Why do you think it kills? He said after a while. Well, it doesn't seem to be for food, or we would have found a pile of bones instead of bodies. I think it does it for fun. And that's the reason why I want it dead. 
Something that big and powerful that kills people for fun is something that needs to be put down. Well, what about man? What about him? Man kills for fun. That's not the same thing. Why not? It was my turn to be quiet. Eli stood and scanned the area. It wasn't long until it was going to be light. I think I might have scared it off, he said. Sorry. That's okay, I might just call it a night, I said. Thanks for the company. He nodded and then lumbered off as quietly as he came. I took another drink of coffee and sat there for another 20 minutes, hoping for one last chance to put this thing in my sights. The first gray of morning sky dissolved my resolve. I started packing up when I heard a scream. I whipped around and ran in the direction that it came from. I pulled on my gun and my flashlight, flying through the brush toward the sound. I reached it and wished so badly that I hadn't. It was standing there, plain as day, huge and covered in brown hair. It was at least seven feet tall with claws bared. But it wasn't me that it was looking at. There on the ground, laying in a pool of blood, was Eli. I couldn't see his face and as much blood as was there, I'm not sure that I wanted to. The thing looked up at me and then grabbed Eli like he weighed nothing, threw him over its shoulder and ran off. It was all that I could do to get a shot off. I didn't want to hurt Eli so I aimed low. I must have hit it in the leg or thigh because I heard it cry out. I followed hoping that it would let Eli go and then I could get a clear shot at it. It was moving fast for being injured and carrying someone Eli's size. I was able to track a clear trail of blood. It must have been bleeding pretty badly. Maybe I would get my wish without having to fire another shot. The trail continued but it was starting to get thin. Either it was bleeding out or it had managed to slow the bleeding somehow. The thrill of the hunt was burning in my veins, but I forgot the rule about wounded animals. As I tracked it, the blood suddenly bent in a different direction. I turned and there it was. You know how in some of the stories in those videos when the creature sees the ranger, their eyes lock and there's a moment of tension before something happens. That didn't happen to me. As soon as this creature saw me, it ran at me, claws out, showing incredible aggression. There was no doubt that it wanted me dead. It slashed at me with razor-sharp claws, knocking the gun from my hand as it ripped at my chest. I spun away from the attack, my shirt ripped open and my chest bleeding. It came at me again and I felt around for my gun. I dove to the side as it stumbled on its wounded leg. I used the moment to find my knife, hoping to even the odds. It wasn't very likely, though. Even wounded, this thing easily outmatched me in size, strength, and quickness. My adrenaline was flowing as I went after it, slashing with my knife and connecting with its face. It roared in pain as it dove at me again, arms wide, to prevent me from escaping. It brought the arms together in a vicious, slashing motion that tore into my shoulder. 
I went down hard, still holding my knife, but it wasn't giving me time to recover. It grabbed me and lifted me up, squeezing me in a bear hug. I could feel pops and snaps in my back. I knew that I was done for. I did the only thing that I could think of. I kicked as hard as I could into its leg wound. It dropped me as it screamed in pain. I found my knife and I buried it in the thing's chest. It stopped as though all resistance was gone. It fell forward in a heap, gasping on the ground. I rolled it over and I pulled my knife out, bringing a lot of red with it. I stood triumphant over it for a long moment. It held up a hand in a weak motion that I didn't understand. My mind screamed at me. Where was Eli? I ran around desperately searching, ignoring the pain in my chest and shoulder. Twilight bathed the land in blood red, making me fear even more what I would find if I could even find him. I began entertaining the idea that it had thrown him over the side of the cliff. I stopped to rest. I was sucking in air badly. I laid down on my chest wound and knew that I needed to get the bleeding to stop, but I had to find Eli first. Desperation crept in when I noticed a patch of green that didn't quite match the brush. I limped toward it and relief had washed over me as I saw the ranger uniform. I collapsed beside him. He was laying face down and I wasn't sure that I wanted to see his wounds, but I had to. I rolled him over with a surprising ease and gasped. He had no face. It wasn't ripped off or anything like that. He just had no face because he was a dummy. I ripped open the uniform and I found stuffing. I picked him up and he felt like a pillow. Realization hit me like a sledgehammer. I limped back to the creature, and it was barely breathing. I reached to its head and grabbed a fistful of hair. I ripped upward, and the face came off. I stared down into eyes full of anger. Eli's eyes. As comprehension had dawned, I asked the only question. Why? He gurgled blood, unable to speak but trying anyway. Fun. He smiled, red running from his mouth as air bubbles formed. He stared at me as the light faded from his eyes. I collapsed to the ground beside my coworker who I had called a friend for the last three years. I wondered if I had ever really known him. It took me a long time to patch myself up, enough to limp my way back to the ranger station. It took even longer to get patched up and back to normal. But the longest it took was getting over what Eli had done. I found out later during the investigation that he had been in a mental hospital for most of his childhood. That his schizophrenia had been diagnosed and treated. They truly thought that he was stable. It turned out that he had been hunting in his Bigfoot costume for years. It was only recently that he had begun to kill. I keep thinking back to the last conversation that we had, and especially to the last word he said when I asked him why.
fun. Nine posed in this in hopes that others might understand what happened to the man that I thought that I knew. That I thought was my friend. I know I don't. The doctor said that it's most likely he truly thought he was playing a game. That when he went into his Bigfoot persona, the game was making it as real as possible by attacking and killing. I look at the beautiful sunrise over the wonder of nature, and all I can think of is death. I'm tired of being a park ranger. I'm tired of hearing the stories of creatures and killing. I wonder how many of them could be someone like Eli, just to play in a game. Every full moon, my housemates insist that I lock myself inside my room. Last night I didn't. Written by Trash Atia. I don't think my housemates are human anymore. This is a pretty explosive statement to make, but I have nowhere else to go to. There's something seriously wrong with them, and I think me too. I've lived with them for almost two years now. They were my saving grace in my sophomore year of college when I was at my worst mentally. I won't spend a long time describing them or telling our backstory, but I want you to know these that they're not bad people. I've known them and trusted them too long. In a way, they're like my second family, or even my first. I'm writing this post because I'm getting increasingly worried about them and also myself, and the state that we have found ourselves in. It began around a month ago. I started losing time. Long stretches of time, whether it was night or day, I would go to class or to the library to study and suddenly I would wake up at home. I didn't remember walking back or what I had been doing in that missing stretch of time. I thought that it was stress related, or maybe health related, so I went to see the campus doctor, but he just prescribed me sleeping pills and asked me questions about my diet and lifestyle, as if that had anything to do with the fact that I was blacking out for hours at a time with no recollection of what I had been doing. I was sure having takeout every once every two weeks and drunk games of cards against humanity wasn't what was causing such a significant change in my life. It was the same every time. I woke up in bed with a gnawing hunger in my gut like I hadn't eaten in weeks, and no memory of how I'd got there. It was definitely a weird situation impaired with the fact that my housemates were acting increasingly weirder and less like themselves. I figured the two were linked. The thing with them wasn't too crazy at first. I mean, it was just something that I had noticed. For reasons which had baffled me, the three of them were suddenly sensitive to the moon. And I don't mean that it caused them headaches or nausea. I mean that it affected them in ways which didn't make sense. Have you ever heard of the Transylvania effect? Well, according to discovermagazine.com, in the dark sky, the clouds shift, revealing the full moon's eerie silver gleam, and the people on Earth below go mad. I wouldn't have called it going mad, but something was wrong with them. Different. And it always was the full moon which triggered it. Which made me wonder if it was in fact the Transylvania effect. 
I first noticed it at Abigail Matherson's house party. The party was and nothing special really, and just an excuse to get drunk and act like freshmen again. Despite being in our early 20s and at the back end of our college lives which were slipping away. I didn't drink much that night. I had class in the morning and I was all too aware of the possibility of once again losing time if I touched alcohol. So I carried a glass of lemonade, much to the amusement of others. The point is, I can't blame what I saw on being drunk. I know perception can be misinterpreted and messed up when you've had one too many canned strawberry daiquiris, but I was completely sober, and I was planning on staying that way until we left. I remember the night in clarity. I'm not a fan of crowds, so I lingered in Abigail's kitchen playing around on my phone. While I'm pretty introverted without a drink, the others are the opposite. I have three extroverted housemates and two years later, I still found myself questioning how we fit so well. It was around midnight and I was scrolling through Twitter on my phone. I was aware that my phone had only 10% left and that I needed to find a charger ASAP, but delving into a stranger's belongings wasn't appealing. I only knew Abigail Matheson from Rowan and Emmy, and they were in the same classes. Still though, I needed to find something to occupy my mind, or I was going to die of boredom. Heading to refill my glass of lemonade, I had the table strewn with drinks. Most of the party was in the living room playing Mario Kart and I was refilling my glass. When I glimpsed Emmy's familiar blonde ponytail bouncing through a straggling students grinding against each other. The party wasn't costume themed, but Emmy insisted on wearing a baby blue ribbon in her hair, which reminded me of a grown Disney character. Imogene Prairie was the human embodiment of a golden retriever. She is as adorable as she is naive and was always smiling no matter the situation, determined to make even the darkest days a little lighter. When I was at my lowest, she was the one who dragged me out of bed and gave me reasons to live, while my parents left me on red. The point I'm trying to make, and I'll continue to make throughout this post is reality and fiction will become increasingly harder to tell apart. Imogene is not a bad person. I lifted my drinking greeting, about to shout her name but then I saw the expression on her face. She looked wary. I know that's not the word. I can't describe her expression because I couldn't understand it myself. For once in what felt like forever, Imogene wasn't smiling. Her eyes were wide, lips twitching into a skull. Her movements were erratic as she headed into the kitchen grabbing a glass of what looked like punch and downing it before striding towards the back window and pulling the blind shot. Rowan, my other housemate, was right behind her, bearing the same look on his face. They were talking in hissed whispers, their heads pressed together before Rowan had noticed me. He muttered something to Imogene who ran out of the kitchen before fixing me with what I only can describe as a patient smile. Have you seen Kaz? The copious amounts of lemonade that I'd been down in half of the night started to crawl back up my throat. His tone was different, darker, nothing like I knew. 
That was the first night I noticed something was wrong with them. With them. And something was triggering it. Huh? I said stupidly. Kaz. The blackouts were getting to me. And I was almost expecting to keel over at the party too. Rowan raised a brow. You had Kaz, he said. You seen him anywhere? I caught his sharp glance at the blinds. Rowan leaned against the table, his expression darkening. I sensed the desperation emitting from him, but it didn't make sense. Was Kaz in trouble? And why were they keeping it between them? What were we little kids? Did he by any chance go outside? Kaz, our third housemate, had been MIA since the four of us had walked in earlier. He had made a comment about going to talk to a guy that he was crushing on before disappearing into the crowd. I hadn't seen him since, which was very unlike Kaz. When it comes to games or anything playable, he's a competitive son of a gun. I expected him to be in the living room with the others, slamming buttons like his life depended on it. Instead, though, he was nowhere to be seen. I shook my head and his eyes were making me want to ask if something was wrong. I opened my mouth to speak, when Emmy stuck her head through the gap in the door. I found him, she said before her eyes met mine, and her skull had twisted into a grimace, trying to be a grin. He's fine, Emmy said, a streak of panic in her tone. She shooed me back when I started forwards. We've got this. Do we? Rowan snapped. He raked his fingernails down his face. How do you lose a 23-year-old guy? Amy scowled, throwing an empty cup at him. He told me that he was going to the bathroom, she said. It's not like I could follow him. Rowan tossed a cup right back at her. And on these circumstances, yes, you should have followed him. Are you kidding me? Emmy hissed. I thought that he was stoned. She caught my eye, trailing off. Nan, you stay here. Emmy pointed at me and grabbed Rowan's arm. We'll go get him. I nodded with a smile, but that didn't stop me from following them. Pushing back through the crowd and moving to a pop song blasting in my ears, I made it to the front door and I stopped, almost tripping over myself. The party continued behind me, laughter and giddy screaming from the living room. In front of me, however, was something entirely different from the party. Something that I didn't understand, and didn't want to understand. The front door was wide open, and the night sky bled inside the house. My three roommates stood on the threshold, their heads tipped back, eyes on the night sky and the full moon bathed in the dark and unearthly light. I've looked this up before, this phenomenon. It can be called moon drunk but this had never happened before. I had lived with them for two years and this was the first time they were entranced by the freaking moon of all things. Kaz was in front of the others and I glimpsed a can of beer at his feet, spilling its contents out of rough concrete. At first, I thought they were marveling at the sight. I mean, it was beautiful enough to stare at and smile, maybe comment it or take a photo but not stare at aimlessly like the moon was something else entirely to them, a living entity crawling inside their heads. I shook Emmy and clapped my hands in front of her face when she didn't move, and growing frustrated, 
I shouted at them, but they didn't move still. They didn't move for what felt like forever and I stood and waited for them to snap out of it. They did eventually, when the music stopped and Abigail announced that the game of Mario Kart was starting. They came back to life, and ignoring me, bounded back into the party with no explanation to what the heck had just happened. I strayed back for a moment and took notice of the sky no longer bathed in light. The moon had slipped behind a cloud, and I started to wonder if that was the reason why they were acting like that. Moon drunk was starting to make the most sense. I got my answer when I went back inside, and Kaz was raiding the refrigerator. I didn't think much of it until I saw pieces of raw bacon squelching between his fingers and stringy white sticking from his mouth. Now there's getting the munchies and there's willingly stuffing yourself with raw bacon. There was almost a feral look in his eyes, which told me that if he even attempted to stop him from feasting on raw pork, I would probably lose a finger. Emmy, who hadn't paid attention to a guy since freshman year when she was attacked at a party, was sitting on a random guy's lap, her lips latched to his ear. It was Emmy who looked to be like the one in control, but even being moon drunk, I didn't want her anywhere near a guy, not when she was still in therapy. Before I could intervene, my housemate was yanking the guy to his feet in one pole and dragging him upstairs. To my shock though, it was the guy who had pulled away from her. What the heck, he hissed, get off me. Emmy didn't seem phased. She just offered him a smile and walked away, this time plonking herself in a girl's lap. It was strange behavior considering Kaz was a vegetarian and Imogene was terrified of intimacy. Rowan was acting objectively the least weird. I found him in the kitchen staring into his drink. When I tried talking to him, he responded with one-word answers. His gaze glued to whatever was so fascinating about his glass of coke. Was it a dead fly? I couldn't help checking it out for myself, but there was nothing there, nothing that I could see anyway. Rowan spent the rest of the evening aimlessly walking around with a stupid smile on his face. All three had that same mystified grin, like they were puppets on strings. After that party, I noticed the following full moon they seemed to go 0 to 100 in terms of personality changes. Kaz would spontaneously decide to go visit his parents in another state for no reason, hours before totality, and I found Amy in the bathroom, frowning at the mirror like she was waiting for something to happen. Rowan was obsessed with blocking every window to avoid a moonlight spilling in and insisted the whole house had to be protected with duct tape, covering every window and reflective surface. As for me, I was locked inside my room with the curtains drawn, forced to wear headphones with music blasting. There was only one rule that I had to follow, and when I questioned it, I just got the same answer from all three. Trust us. They wanted me to trust them when Kaz was gnawing on raw meat like an animal during a full moon. Emmy was throwing herself at random guys and girls, and Rowan went into a trance-like state when he caught sight of anything reflective. I understood the moon was affecting them in ways that I couldn't understand. Maybe moon drunk. Some kind of a sensitivity. 
may be mass delusion infecting all three of them, or even a shared trauma they had experienced, and they were shielding it with this kind of reaction. But locking me in my room until the morning was overkill, I was the only one who wasn't affected by the moon's light, and yet they treated me like I was in trouble too. And despite being overly reluctant, I agreed to their rules. I stayed in my room and I listened to music as loud as it would go. According to them, I couldn't at any point remove my headphones, and I didn't. After blasting half of my Spotify playlist, I drifted off, and before I knew what was happening, I was waking up with sunlight poking through the blinds, feeling like crap, a gnawing hunger in my gut, which had splintered into nausea which wouldn't go away, unless I bent over the toilet and stuck my finger down my throat. There were certain differences that jumped out at me when I had pried my eyes open, blinking through intense sunlight. I was wearing different clothes. I remembered that I had changed into a shirt and shorts for bed, but I was dressed for the day. I didn't remember drinking anything before falling asleep, though an empty glass was on my bedside. But my mouth was parched and my lips dry. I didn't question it. I wanted to, but anything was possible. Maybe I was the delusional one. I was blacking out, so maybe I had dressed myself without knowing, and I had slipped downstairs and grabbed a drink of water in the early morning. After that night, things seemed to go back to normal, and I decided that it really was a case of being moon drunk. The others didn't talk about it again, and life went on, I guess. I thought about talking about it with them, but when I tried... They would stiffen up or change the subject. I asked Emmy if anything had happened during the time that I had experienced my worst blackouts, and she screwed up her face and jumped up with an excuse that she needed to go somewhere. We have game nights on Friday, and while Emmy and Rowan had fallen asleep after playing Animal Crossing on the TV, I had sucked in a breath and asked Kaz about the night at the party but he dismissed everything I said and told me that they were fine, and that the moon just gave them headache. I can be an idiot sometimes, but I was pretty sure you eating raw bacon like an animal couldn't be justified with that excuse. When I tried to argue, he grabbed the controller from a sleeping Rowan, and dared me to mess up Emmy's island. I did and ended up covered in Rowan's breakfast the next morning. So basically, my housemates were hiding something big for me, and I wasn't planning on telling them about the blackouts. Because part of me wondered if they were involved. I was convinced the two phenomenons were linked. So yeah, a pretty toxic mindset to have on both sides. I went back to the doctor after blacking out for six hours and once again finding myself at home in bed, when I'd be shopping for school supplies but again... He brushed it off as a problem that I could make better myself by fixing my lifestyle. I'm not sure what he meant by that. I eat healthily enough. Fruit smoothies and oatmeal for breakfast. A sandwich and water for lunch. Yogurt bars for snacks and whatever meat-free dish Kaz was cooking for dinner. Anyway, this leads me to what had happened last night. It was the usual the usual that I had gotten used to. After class, I hurried home to help with prepping the house for the full moon. 
Rowan was standing on a chair, taping up the windows, and Emmy was closing on the curtains and blinds. I busied myself with hiding everything reflective that I could find, before retiring to the living room and joining Kaz, who was working on his laptop. Our living room is probably my favorite room in the house. The house itself is Emmy's aunt's, and it's one heck of a build. Victorian with a rustic aesthetic. The lounge was a perfect clash of our personalities. A games console, tons of unread books and comic books, magazines, stained coffee cups, and self-help books from Rowan's. I want to be an entrepreneur phase. Emmy and Rowan were hard to talk to about what was going on, but with Kaz being the resident stoner, his walls came down a little. I slumped down on the threaded sofa and grabbed a controller, resuming a game of COD from earlier. So, I focused on the game, navigating my first-person character through a pile of bodies. Kaz offered me a smile over his laptop. So, are you guys ever planning on telling me what's going on? I don't know what you're talking about. The moon, I said. It's a moon night, and as usual, everyone's freaking out. Freaking out? Kaz's gaze strayed on his laptop screen. I'm the epitome of calm right now. I threw a cushion at him. You're stoned and I'm still waiting for you to explain your spontaneousness, Peppa Pig binge. He tossed me a sheepish smile. I was hungry. You're a freaking vegetarian. Cash shrugged. We've already told you it's just a sensitivity. The Munkins do stuff like that, look it up. Sensitivity? I repeated in a scoff. Glaring at war-torn Europe on the TV screen. That's what you're calling it. Kaz lifted his head. His gaze snapping to me. Well, what else do you want to call it? I took a deep breath. I had some guesses. Though most of them were embarrassing. And yet made sense considering their behavior. I hadn't forgotten a spontaneous binge of raw poultry at the night of Abigail Matheson's party. A werewolf. He curled his lip. Very original. Werewolves freak out every full moon, I said matter-of-factly. He nodded, humoring me as he typed. Kaz was like an older brother. Uh-huh, and they're also shockingly not real men. Well, it's not that far-fetched. Kaz stopped typing, raising a brow. I'm pretty sure humans can't turn into dogs under the full moon. I put the controller down. You lock me in my room until morning. I twisted to face him. How was that normal? It's just a precaution. You've told us how weird we act, so it's better to stay away from us. Well, I'd feel better if I was with you, I swallowed. So I know what's really going on. Kaz's expression seemed to change, relaxing slightly. He nodded and opened his mouth to speak before Rowan came crashing in. Well, quite literally. That guy can't walk two feet without falling or slamming into something. In this case, he had tripped over the rug that Emmy had been vacuuming. I blamed the moon's influence on him being more hyperactive than normal. Rowan oozed ADHD. Stumbling into the back of the couch, he grabbed onto the back to stable himself. What are you guys talking about? Kaz went back to typing with an exaggerated sigh. Nin thinks we're werewolves. What? Werewolves. 
Kaz shut his laptop. You know, people who can turn into dogs. Honestly, I'm offended. I thought Nin was more creative than that. There's a whole Wikipedia page on moon-affiliated creatures, and she goes with the obvious. Oh, wow, Rowan chuckled. Teen Wolf style. A TV show or a 1970s movie. It doesn't matter. Rowan started clearing up the TV table, flipping through comic books. They're both garbage. What is? Emmy yelled from the kitchen. Teen Wolf, Rowan yelled back. The girl made a sound of horror and it was hard to hide my smile. During lockdown, Emmy had binged the whole show. Dylan O'Brien became gospel in our household. You take that back. Emmy mockingly shrieked. It's bad, Rowan said. Loud enough for her to hear. You forced me to watch an episode and I fell asleep. That was after season three. Emmy appeared in the doorway wielding a spoon like she was going to attack him. Gesturing wildly with the spoon, Emmy was desperate to defend her lockdown guilty pleasure. After season three, it declined in quality, but it was still good. You liked the episode with the chess game. Rowan shrugged. That doesn't change my overall rating. Who are you, IGN? Emmy turned and marched back into the kitchen and slammed the door. It took maybe an hour for the two of them to get back on her good side. See, I think about these moments and I wonder why I'm writing this post. I think that I'm still in denial. I want to tell you thousands of reasons why they're not bad people. But then I remember what had happened after that. I remember why I can't talk to anyone else but an anonymous subreddit. At around 10pm I found myself once again in my room going through the same routine. This time though they wanted to be extra careful which meant a new addition to make sure that I stayed there until dawn. Rowan knelt in front of me and I couldn't see the look in his eyes through his Ray-Bans, but I could tell that he was wary. You okay? He fixed the headphones over my ears, jiggling them a little to make sure that they were fitted properly. I tugged at the handcuffs, securing my left hand to the bed frame. Eh, kinky. It's only until morning. Handcuffs, though? I said. Are they really necessary? He didn't answer. Remember what you have to do. I resisted against rolling my eyes. Music on and blasting until I fall asleep. And? And I'm not coming out until the morning. Rowan hummed. Lastly, don't remove the headphones. He jumped up. Alright, are you all set? Sure, I tried to smile. I've got enough 80s pop and sad indie to last me a while. Awesome. I tugged at the cuffs. Rowan, if something's going on, you can tell me. Really, because no offense, but I don't think a pep talk will help this kind of problem. Well, I can try, I said. I don't want to be locked up here every full moon because you're scared of moonlight. I was startled when he had sputtered out a lap before getting close. Too close his icy breath grazing my cheeks. Well, Rowan murmured, maybe if you weren't a freaking coward that day, things might be different. But here we are, drunk on the freaking moon. He exhaled in my face and something warm crept up my throat. His entire demeanor had changed. I was used to his bad moods before the moon, but this was something different. This was hatred and resentment in its purest form shone in the twitch of his lips. I didn't have to see his eyes. 
He climbed off the bed and offered me a salute, his lips twisting into a smile that I knew was fake. It made me wonder if I was wrong, if the moon didn't change them and brought out their true feelings and selves. But that only brought more questions. He mentioned that day which was part of the endless blur of darkness, memories torn from me and my blackouts. Did something happen during one of those instances which had triggered them to act like this? Did I know subconsciously? With that question in my mind, I attempted to lunge from the restraints, but he was already at the door. At night, I didn't reply. I knew not to entertain him when he was starting to feel the moon's effects. When the door slammed shut and I heard the twist of the key in the lock, I lay back and closed my eyes. I considered tearing off the headphones and ignoring the rules, but that seemed petty. And plus, I was tired. I remember watching YouTube on my phone for a while, but having people talk at full volume for long stretches of time, even if they were my favorite like movie reviewers and streamers, it started to hurt my ears. I went back to Spotify and drifted off to music, slamming in my eardrums. I still don't know how I slept through it. I don't know how long I was out for, but it couldn't have been that long, a few hours maybe. I woke up feeling the same, ravenously hungry, and yet hollow at the same time. When I sat up, I noticed something felt wrong. I frowned at my toes for way longer than necessary, until I realized that one was missing. I was supposed to have five toes in each foot. My foggy mind had murmured. I counted them twice, but there was only four. My pinky toe was gone. After staring at it for a while, I blinked I could have sworn that it appeared in flashes, like the flesh was knitting itself back together. I was seeing things. That's what I told myself. The sleep paralysis was a thing, so I waited until I was fully with it, and when I was, my mind began to drink in my surroundings. The room was still dark, only lit up by my bedside lamp. I was in different clothes once more and an empty glass of water stood on my bedstand. Something was different though. It was still dark outside and I could just about glimpse a sliver of moonlight poking through the blinds. Another thing which was different, my hand was no longer cuffed to my bed frame. Sitting up I stretched and jumped off my bed and headed to the door. It wouldn't hurt I thought, I could just peek. I told myself that as I reached out and grabbed the handle and twisted it, only for a door to swing open. Weird, wasn't it locked? They probably had some weird ritual to keep the moon out which Cass found on Yahoo Answers. Far too embarrassing for me to see. Slowly, I made my way across the hall and past the other's rooms, which were all silent, which meant that they were downstairs. If I was honest with myself, I really didn't want to deal with them if they were under the moon's effects. But the rest of me was desperate to know what they had been hiding. Why I had been sentenced to my room until dawn. The clock on the rustic paintwork told me that it was 1am as I had slipped down the stairs, careful not to make any noise. That meant that I would be asleep for around 4 hours. I heard voices when I reached the kitchen door. Emmy was laughing and Rowan made a hissy noise. That's not fair. 
You always get the blue ones first and never give anyone a chance. I call BS. Well, yeah, because you're losing. Emmy shot back. Rowan's right, though. Kaz joined in. You do act territorial over Park Place and Boardwalk. I do not. At least give someone else a chance to get the blue ones at me. Why, I got them fair and square. You're just calling me out because you've got... Hey, Rowan yelled. Hey, she can't just do that. $200 left, Emmy sang. And you're stuck in jail. I rest my case. Huh? They were playing Monopoly without me. So they locked me in my room and played games until dawn. That stung a little. I could have walked away. I mean, they were having fun. I should have left them to tear themselves apart over a board game. But I was grabbing the handle and twisting it, pulling open the door. When I stepped into our kitchen, the first thing I saw was the impressive amount of property cards that Emmy had laid out in front of her, as well as the pile of cash sitting next to the board. I started to speak. I think I was going to congratulate Emmy on her clean win, but the words choked up when my gaze continued across the table. This time settling on a small plastic container filled with red mush, which Kaz was sticking his fingers in and scooping into his mouth. The kitchen looked so familiar and yet different as my brain struggled to react with what I was seeing. Emmy's face was split into a manic grin because of her win, but there was something splattered on her lips and dripping from her chin. It wasn't Emmy that I was looking at. It was what was in front of her, spread out like a main course, what she was tearing at like an animal, what was hanging out of Kaz's mouth and slithering strands that dyed scarlet and piled on Rowan's plate. I was seeing flesh covering the table in them, and the floor, and they were stuffing themselves. I thought that it was raw chicken at first and had decided in that moment that they really had lost their minds. Then, though, I saw what was lying at their feet. I saw the torso first, which had been torn into, guts spilling out out of the floor. The body was an unrecognizable mass of skinned bone and pooling scarlet before I saw the face and clumps of hair which had been ragged from the skull. I recognized that dirty blonde ponytail. Unbelievably, I was staring at myself. There are certain things your brain can protect from you, trauma being one of them. But I was ahead of my brain at that moment. I was already seeing everything for what it was and a hazy red cloud, and my brain could do nothing. It was me they were eating. They were ripping me apart and gnawing on my bones, stuffing my guts into a plastic container and using it as dip. I can't remember speaking, but I know that I did. I made a sound which definitely hit the sound barrier, and in my head, I was running back down the hallway. But I was paralyzed. I looked at the window with the duct tape blocking out the moon's light. So this wasn't an effect of the moon. This was them. This was all them. Amy was the first to notice me. Her smile dampened and she dropped what looked like stringy pieces of intestine that were clenched between her fists that she was stuffing into her mouth. My housemate's eyes widened and for a moment she looked like she was on the edge of hysteria. Nan, she squeaked. 
the mushy mess of gods slipping from her hands. Hey, uh, this is this. The girl was struggling. Her eyes snap into my body, which had been hollowed out and cut into pieces on the floor. And to Rowan's plate, filled with a red mush of blended whatever. And whatever that Kaz was sticking his fingers in. This isn't what it looks like. Kaz finished for her. He stood up, seeming calmer than the others. Rowan was staring at me. His Ray-Bans had pinned back dark curls and his eyes didn't seem angry or even phased that I was seeing this. They only regarded me with amusement. He looked torn whether to continue chewing on my flesh or to try and explain. Nan, Emmy jumped up. We can explain, she whispered. Or we can't explain right now, but if you just let us. Let us what? Rowan scoffed. Explain, yeah, we're way past that point. Do you want to try explaining, Café de Nin? He pointed to his chin. Yeah, you got a little stomach line in there. What? Emmy shot me a look, swiping at her chin with her sleeve. Nin, ignore him. I don't remember my legs moving, but I was at the front door before I could release a breath. They followed me, their thundering footsteps pounding behind me. Now they were scared. When I was so close to the door, so close to letting in that unearthly light, their expressions turned fearful. Nin. Kaz swiped blood from his mouth and chin cursing. Don't open that door. Emmy wrapped her arms around herself. Is she here? No. Rowan grumbled, shading his eyes. And she won't come as long as that door stays shut. I finally found my voice. Who are you talking about? Nobody, Kaz said. Just go back upstairs, we'll explain, I promise you. But you have to trust us. His tone was a warning. Trust you? I managed to get out. Are you kidding me? It was funny. How they wanted me to trust them when I saw what they had done to me. I couldn't speak. I couldn't breathe. I didn't want an explanation or a scuffed excuse. I wanted out of there. The rest is sort of a blur. I remember opening the door, at least I started to open it. And then I shut it again, panicking. But it was enough exposure to let the moon bleed into the hallway and strike each of them. I watched their eyes fill up with that same unearthly light which had bathed the sky. It was beautiful and terrifying the way their resolve crumbled in their eyes and lips. Scowls turned to whimsical smiles, and blood-stained hands fell to their sides. The three of them headed back into the kitchen, and a sudden rhythmic knock on the front door startled me. I remember Rowan at the corner of my eye, rummaging around in a drawer, and me and Kaz stood behind him. I risked going to the window and peeking out, but all I saw was the moon. The moon was right there, three inches from my face like it had encased the sky into oblivion beyond. For a moment, I was taken aback at how beautiful she was. There she was, bathing me in her light, in her glow filling me with her song and her sweet words. And then a thud sounded behind me. Whatever had leached out of my mind let go, and I twisted to find Rowan on the ground in a rapidly growing pool of red. Her voice was in his head, just like it was in mine. Another thud and then another almost in sync. Kaz and Amy followed. Their throats had been cut by their own fingernails, fashioned into claws. 
When it hit me that my housemates were dead, I was seeing a reflection in everything, in silverware which had been brought out from the drawers, bleeding through the duct tape on the back window. I knew what I had to do. I had to get the cops. I was halfway upstairs when the blinding flash filled the hallway, followed by the sound. It sounded like a camera, like someone was taking a photo. When I grabbed my photo from my room, the moon lingered on the screen, growing larger until I swore she wasn't just in reflective surfaces. She was at the corner of my eye, a half-crescent quickly reaching totality, the more that I caught her shadow looming. It was like a game she was playing. The more that I caught her light, she only grew bigger. After a hysterical freakout with the cops, they came around about five minutes later. Two officers followed me inside the house, one of them asking how many people were dead. Three, I kept saying, my housemates. I was speaking in barely decipherable sobs. My housemates are dead. When I led them into the kitchen over, bracing myself for the aftermath of what I saw, I was greeted to the three of them sitting on the floor, resuming their game of Monopoly. My body as well as every piece of me was freaking gone. The blood pulling on the floor as well as staining their skin and faces was gone. Officers, Rowan saluted the cops with his drink. I noticed a glitter of light in his eyes, and Kaz's when he stood and folded his arms, his lips pulling into a smile. What's going on? He shot a look at me. And then, come on, we're in the middle of a game. The officer standing behind me frowned. We were informed of a triple homicide. He cleared his throat. Everything seems to be relatively normal. He stepped in front of me. Miss Kane, are you aware that wasting police time is a criminal offense? They were dead, I said in a hiss. I saw them, they were dead. Uh-huh, the second officer sighed, turning to Kaz. Is your friend under the influence of drugs? Or too many scary movies? The other scoffed. Rowan jumped up. Uh, no, we're all good, officer. When he came over and grabbed my arm, his grasp was strangely gentle. When I was leaning into it, however, I glimpsed something on his neck. At first I thought it was a tattoo, but it was engraved into his flesh. The number two. She's not feeling great, he said. We, uh, we apologize for any crap caused. The cops didn't say a word when they left, only muttering to each other about stupid kids. I couldn't face my housemates after that. I went upstairs and splashed water on my face. I was seeing things I told myself. I was going crazy. But then my fingers found the back of my neck and I was twisting around. Something acidic creeping up my throat. Rowan's neck displayed the number two, while mine had the number 27. I went to bed after that. I was all ready to grab my things and leave while they slept, but when I risked standing on top of the stairs, Kaz was in front of the door. It didn't look like he was blocking it intentionally, but I wasn't going to try. This morning was awkward, that's the only word I can think to describe it. My housemates acted like nothing was wrong, like nothing had happened. When I asked if the police had come back, Emmy frowned at me over her oatmeal that she hadn't touched. Please, 
Her eyes grew wide. Wait, did something happen last night? I was waiting for her to eat it, but she was only staring at it like it was about to come alive. I thought back to last night, watching her chewing through a mouthful of me and I felt sick to my stomach. I doubt it. Rowan had his back to me making coffee. All I remember is passing out after Monopoly. After you lost, Emmy smirked. Last night doesn't count. Kaz grabbed a seat next to me. As far as we know, moon sensitivity doesn't get us. And Rowan let Emmy win Monopoly. Then stayed in her room until we survived another full moon. He smiled. Cheers to that. Amen. Rowan pushed past me when he took his plate to the dishwasher. If anyone knocks today, don't answer it. I noticed Emmy stiffen up. Kaz's smile had faded. Understand? Rowan said. Shut off all the lights. Mm-hmm. Kaz nodded. Crazy lady needs a restraining order. All of them do. With no explanation, the others left for class after breakfast and I planned my escape. I wanted to pack up all my stuff, but instead, I found myself scouring their rooms for anything which would confirm last night was real, and that I hadn't hallucinated it. But their rooms were exactly how I knew them. Emmy's a total mess, covered in exotic plants that she forgot to water, and textbooks, a whole bookshelf dedicated to the YA genre, and every plushie that you could think of. I looked under her bed, though there were just old snacks that she had forgotten to throw away, and letters to her parents that she had never sent. I tried Rowan's next, but it was more or less the same. I knew his room from movie nights that I spent with him, though it still felt wrong going in there. Rowan's room was perfect. Everything was in its place and was strangely symmetrical. His books were color-coded, and there was one singular Yoda plushies peeking from his bed covers. Under his bed were the usual things that you would find in a man's room, used tissues and odd socks. But there was nothing that I would consider weird. Nothing that told me he was a cold-blooded murderer. I was losing motivation when I had reached Kaz's room at the end of the hallway. I expected the usual when I stepped inside. Movie posters on the walls and Japanese snacks littering the floor. There was that, of course. I knew Kaz well. But when I peeked under his bed, there was something wrapped in plastic. And when I crawled further under, I saw through the plastic. I saw the same flash from last night. Pieces of torso and limbs ripped through and torn into. But there wasn't just one of them. There were multiple bodies which all had my face squished against the plastic and pooling red. My body stuffed into plastic bags. My own dead eyes staring at me. My mind flashed back to the blinding light filling the hallway and the sound of a photograph being taken. The moon following me creeping behind me as I made my getaway upstairs to grab my phone to call the cops. My pinky toe growing back right in front of my eyes. I know this sounds crazy, but I think my housemates are copying me. That's what the 27 means. I've been copied 27 times. Copied, cloned, whatever. So they can eat me. I'm yet to go back home as I'm writing this. I'm planning to go back and get my stuff, but right now I just can't. I want to blame all of this on them, but I keep thinking back to Rowan's words. That night, I was a coward and left them, and somehow, these are the consequences.
What did I do to turn them into this? Rowan said this is my fault. It's driving me crazy, but I can't remember it. How can I get those memories back? But do I want them back? Do I want to know what turned my housemates into this? Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Wherever you may be in the world, I hope that you stay safe and sound. And as always, stay creepy.